All right, so tonight is uh, Wednesday night. It is August the 27th, 2014. And I'm going to read something before I tell you my title. Sorry if I read something. No, sometimes you run across these news articles, and uh, you know, most for the most part, they're they're pretty grievous, they're heavy. But I found one that I really liked. Might lighten the mood a little bit. Worship already did that, but I'll follow up with it. So, a woman from Long Beach, California, was rushed to the emergency room today due to lacerations on her ankles. When police investigators investigators questioned the woman, she explained how her boyfriend rescued her from a suicide attempt. The investigation revealed that the boyfriend heard a loud noise in the bathroom and began questioning the woman of her activity. She then confessed that she is in process of attempting to end her own life. At this, the boyfriend breached the door with force and discovered the woman hanging by a rope tied around her ankles. He then asked her, Are you trying to hang yourself? Yes, what does it look like I'm doing, she replied. The boyfriend then said, Well, When people try to hang themselves, they usually tie the rope around their necks. She answered, yeah, well, I tried that, but I couldn't breathe. (laughs) Now, I would say this woman probably wasn't a brunette and probably wasn't a redhead. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, boo. Boo, boo. Exactly. Shame. Well, wait a minute. Thank you all for throwing stones. She wasn't a blonde either. She was shade bald. Oh, how about that? In the face. So the, the title of tonight's message is Just Breathe. Come on, everybody say that with me. Just breathe. Sometimes we just got to breathe. That's what it takes in order to respirate and live. Uh, science may say you breathe probably thousands and thousands of times per day, but do you ever think about each and every time that you inhale and exhale? Unless you're running and your heart rate is probably about 180 and you're gasping for each and every breath, you're not going to think about each and every time that you do breathe. However, it is vital to your existence. Am I right? Anybody want to demonstrate what not breathing looks like? I think we could go to a cemetery and find that pretty easy. So everybody turn in your Bibles, if you have them, hopefully you do, to Ephesians chapter 6. Now, I love the way the Holy Ghost begins to speak to our church a message. We see over and over again in the Word, particularly the book of Revelation, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to who? Churches. So if you go back online right now and look at the title and the content of the messages that have been coming forth from this ministry, you have things such as fear versus desire. You have uh, bite back. Well, Monday night we studied Genesis 15 about the promise made to Abraham, particularly on after this, developing into the shield that God was going to be for Abraham. But it was credited unto him of righteousness when he believed God. Over and over again, there's this anthem that's running. In fact, Tommy, when he preached on Sunday, put up the very verse that I'm going to preach on today. And I got this message a week before Tommy ever showed up. So he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to who? The churches. 
Now, here's another question. Who's the churches? Oh, that's right. So let's rephrase it. Instead of saying the churches, say to me. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to, to me. So I'm preaching this word to me as well. Everybody in Ephesians 6? Yes. Amen. I am not. But I will be there soon. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, I mean, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We begin with that first part, the one right after finally. Be strong in the Lord. Does this sound familiar? I don't know. It kind of it echoes in my ear. Maybe Joshua 1.3, Joshua 1.6, Joshua 1.7, Joshua 1.9. Be strong. But particularly, be strong in yourself. Nope. No, no, no. Be strong in somebody else's strength to carry your walk. Nope. Be strong in the Lord. Look to your neighbor and say, Lord. Lord. That's right. We're going to make this church full of soul someday. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. If there's a principle that, that Paul is trying to communicate really throughout the book of Ephesians, it's how to have a victorious walk that is not tossed back and forth like we read in chapter 4 earlier by the wind and the waves, constantly being deceived and deceiving others. It's coming to a place of unity with God and thereby unity with the body of Christ. And then finally, you can be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The reason that we show up in this building, in each other's homes, in prayer closets, in our own room, and our face in the word of God is that the end goal is this very verse. We have to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And what the Lord began to show me as I was just going through the word, I opened to this particular section and said, really, you're pointing out to me the arm of God? I'm back in VBS, man. I'm in the Lord's army. I'm in the Lord's army. I forget the rest of the words. I need them back there on the screen to tell me what to say. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm thinking, I mean, I know the Spirit of God searches all things, even the deep things of God. And like we sang to, tonight, deep cries out. So something in this passage was deep, and it was crying out to my soul. But the surface level of my elementary teaching, if not subpar understanding, the Spirit of God was calling out to me. And something's here. It's right here. you got to pay attention. So I begin to read through. If you will, read through with me. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
And immediately, my mind does go back to VBS, particularly because my wife spent hours on laminating these elements of the, the arm of God. And I think we actually tried them out on one of my kids by sticking them to one of my children to see how it would fit. But we put it on the wall, and I had this imagery. It's of a Roman soldier. And you, we all know it, and we all see it. It's all there. So I'm looking at this, this scripture in these particular passages. I'm going, all right, I, I'm, I'm pretty dense, Lord. I, I'm not getting the deep crying out from this. Uh, it's pretty evident. Yes, this is the arm of God. Yes, we need to put it on. And I've always heard all my life, you need to pray it on each morning. And then follow up with a, a more deeper understanding. This is the lifestyle that you live. Okay, I get that symbolism. What is here? Here comes the point when something so obvious that has been in the Word so long is the most pivotal point. It is the key unlocking the mystery of something on the surface. That all of a sudden the doors open and the abyss of God's Word opens up, but more importantly applies to my own personal life. And it was the next verse in 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. For so long, I had seen the armor of God displayed in various ways. I knew it was a lifestyle. I knew it was something that I had to be intentional about pursuing in areas of my life. But the one element that gives life to each piece of armor and enables you to fit it upon your life was verse 18. Lately, or more recently, God has been moving upon my heart about my personal prayer life. I get up here, you guys see me lead worship. You, you see me get to those points where I am stuck. There's a brick wall. And what used to come so easily of hearing in my heart and in my spirit the next song to go to, the mood, the atmosphere, what needed to happen in worship, all of a sudden, it's like I have a, a mask on my face and I cannot see and I cannot hear. At the end of a service, we finally pull out of it. The, my brothers and sisters join in and we, we rally around. The presence of God falls. But it's not until the last song that we actually got there. To me, that's defeat. We should have been there on the first song, minimum of the second. But what that left me was with a hunger. I was telling Wade earlier, for those of you who grew up on the NES play or, uh, systems, the video game systems, that's Nintendo Entertainment System, NES. Burn that in your brain. That first game that, that Rick's raised in his hands, he's saying, Hallelujah, Amen, Glory, Lord. The first console came with the best game that was ever invented, and that was Super Mario Brothers. Absolutely. I played it night after night, day after day. Much like these young people sitting right here, I would fall asleep without a controller in my hand and still be doing this. Up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right, start, start, select, select, A, B, A, B. It permeated the soul of who I was. But there would come that one point you would get to the eighth level on Super Mario Brothers. And the thing about Super Mario Brothers that all you kids are spoiled at is that you would play from level 1-1 to 8-8. And if you got to 8-7, or even in the middle of 8-8, and you lost, you went all the way back to 1-1. You had, you had to play, mom and dad. You had to play for another seven hours to get back to that 8-7 or 8-8. We're so close to victory. 
but all of a sudden it has slipped through my grasp. That very feeling is what I feel like, whether it be ministry, whether it be worship, whether it be street ministry, no matter what I am doing, but being obedient to the word of God and to the living God, his spirit inside of me, and I fall short of accomplishing what he set me the task to do. And what I was describing to Wade and trying to describe to you is that feeling immediately after. God's honest truth, the first one is to take that controller and hurl it straight at that Nintendo system. Well, what happened is that the cartridge would pop up and fall out and then all memory is lost. But the second one was, I have got to sit here until I beat this thing, until I finish it. There was a tenacity of I will not be denied. For those of you who want to know about getting into the presence of God and what it takes, whether you're out there, you're up here, or you're out there, it takes a tenacity that will not give up until you reach that place. And that's exactly the point that God brought me in my prayer life. Because in all these areas, I was being denied of accomplishing exactly what I have accomplished before, knew I could accomplish today, and should accomplish for tomorrow. And it created me a hunger to look at this verse, and verse 18 jumped out and just jacked me in the jaw. It convicted the fire out of me. Here I am. I'm working to put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the gospel of uh, the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, wailing the sword of the spirit, extinguishing arrows with my shield of faith. But the whole time I am holding my breath. Now, so those of you who have been in those moments when you have something heavy to lift, something hard to swing at, you hold your breath for just a moment to exert maximum force. But apparently, if you don't open your mouth and begin to breathe, you're going to be pretty useless from that point forward. So is our walk in the armor of God if we do not breathe. And that breathing is praying in the Spirit. So I want to go through each one of these facets of the armor of God. I want to show you what the Lord began to show me in each one, how the praying pray in the spirit edifies, strengthens, enables, brings to life the armor of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's begin with the belt of truth. Parents, do you like truth? Yes. Children, do you like truth? Sometimes. Not all the time. Truth is what the word of God is. Truth is what the word of God is. It doesn't have to try to be anything else, but it is truth. God is truth. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. Let's go back to the beginning. Chapter 3, verse 1. Say there when you're there. Ah, oh, yeah. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. This does not mean that he sewed and knitted and made neat things like Martha Stewart. He said to the woman, did 
God really said, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. Come on, did God really say? The first level of armament, and more importantly, what the enemy, the cunning, the crafty, the deceitful enemy is after, is to alter or falsify your standard of truth. Over and over and over again, whether it be circumstance or whether it be the seed of someone else's deceit or maybe even your own evil desires, it lies to you by telling you partial truth, three-quarter truth, 99.9% truth. But if it's not 100%, it is not truth. And this is what the devil did. Did God really say? we begin at this point and realizing and we're not unaware of the devil's schemes his schematic his layout and plan of killing stealing and destroy we have to go to the first central point what is our truth it is the word of god but let's talk about what truth does let's go to john chapter one starting on verse one Many of you may know the next two verses by heart. Hopefully you do. In the beginning, everybody say in the beginning. beginning. No contestation. It has been from the beginning. Was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The source of truth has always been. It always is and it always will be. The word of God. If you haven't had the wonderful pleasure of sitting down with Eric or myself during a counseling session, you may preemptively be warned that we will go back to the word of God. We will go to the point of saying what is truth? Not what you feel, though as true as it may be to you. What does God's word really say? Verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father full of grace and truth. Full of grace and what? He came from the father and this word become flesh is Jesus. And he came from the father to us full of grace and full of truth. You know what one thing that jumped out here to me is? He made his dwelling among us. Now, in the very beginning, God placed his truth in the Garden of Eden. It was the knowledge of good and evil. Man chose for himself to eat from that based upon a manipulation and deceit of did God really say. But what Jesus did, he stepped into our world, which was outside the garden. He stepped out into our imperfection with his glory came from the Father to give us grace and truth. When we pray in the Spirit, we are joining the Holy Spirit who is one with Jesus. It is one with the Father. It leads us into all truth. The minute that we begin to pray, despite how you feel and despite what you're thinking, we begin to alter the state of our own mind. We begin to turn the tide 
back against our opposition, which is our own sinful desires, and then it is any principality, it is any authority, any dominion that stands opposed to the living God. Without prayer, we don't have a chance. It is the heart's cry of getting back to the one who became flesh, came into our dwelling place, and became grace and truth for us. Amen? Amen. Let's go to John 16, verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Now, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, is the, the infamous moment when Jesus says, Who do they say that I am? And Peter replies, you are the Christ. The son of living God. Go to verse 17. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. What sustained and set apart Peter in that one moment was revelation brought to him by the spirit of truth. That was sent from the Father. When we pursue seeking the heart of God, letting Him know our own personal thoughts and struggles, we make a way for the Spirit of truth to come and show us who Jesus is in that moment. I don't know about you, but there are times every single day when I do not know what to do, where truth is not always extremely. Uh, uh, defined from left or right side. I need his spirit of truth speaking to me the word of God that helps me rightly divide what my own heart is thinking, what my own soul is feeling so that I can be obedient to the king. Praying in the spirit means praying in the spirit of truth. Over and over again in the book of Psalms, we see over and over how David begins to cry out to the Lord. And you see how it plays out. He's in distress. Oh, Lord, save me from my enemies. Save me from my distress. It ain't going to work out. They're going to foreclose on my house. They're going to shut me down. It goes on and on and on. But what begins to happen? As he breathes, as he prays, he's exhaling what doesn't belong to the Lord so that it makes room for him to inhale what does. God designed our function, our bodily way of respirating for a reason. It teaches us a lesson. If you put me in outer space, I'm not going to be able to breathe because there's no oxygen in that space. This is pretty obvious. You put a Christian in the presence of God And they got a fighting chance. You get in the presence of God and begin to exhale what doesn't belong. It makes room to inhale what does. And next thing you know, you come to life. It brings life to what truth really is. Not without a show of hands, but with just an acknowledgement with your heart. How many times do you walk through that door and you're confused? You're offended. Something is bothering your soul. You don't know what really is right or what really is wrong. But the minute that the music begins and the presence of God falls, 
You begin to offer up to him all those offenses, all those cares and worries, and they evaporate in his presence. And the next thing you know, we get to that one point in worship where you're breathing in that presence and truth is crystal clear. We got to live to be in that presence. But it can't be just defined on a Wednesday or Sunday night. The skill in being an effective warrior is how do you find that breathing ability everywhere that you go? So that God's honest truth, when we come in here, it's magnified in expectation. Amen? As a service alert, that means the Holy Ghost is coming. (laughs) All right, so everybody turn to, uh, let's turn to Isaiah 59. Fifty-nine, verse seventeen. Commentary after commentary reviews and said, "Well, Paul's this is war type speech, and he's deriving this from a Roman centurion. This is what was depicted in his day, and therefore this is what he's communicating to the people." Most of the warriors that you'll probably see, with the exception of a few indigenous people in South America and Central America, they had armor. But this is not the first, or Ephesians wasn't the first time that Paul ever thought of or heard of the arm of God. Let's read verse 17 of Isaiah 59. He put on righteousness as his breastplate. Oh my goodness. And the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Paul grew up memorizing backwards and forwards the entire Tanakh, all 39 books. He was writing Ephesians from a deep well of experiencing, but also being saturated with the Older Testament. And he pulled from this verse, which he knew by heart, in order to communicate to the church in Ephesus, undergoing great persecution, battling the spirit of Artemis, to strengthen them with the knowledge of who the saving one is, what the warrior of all warriors looks like, what he wears, and thereby what we should wear. The spirit of truth leads us to the point of having righteousness, right standing with God. If you know what is true, then you know what to follow and obey. And by doing so, so, we find ourselves in right standing with God. Let's go to Genesis 15. Genesis 15. Let's go to verse 6. Abraham is the father of our faith. Come on, Abraham is the father of our faith. faith. You even sing that song. Father Abraham had many sons. Been his sons and daughters, had father Abraham, just being PC for you. I am one of them, and so are you. We've been studying and saturating and soaking in the book of Genesis, and right now the centerpiece is Abraham. And it's particularly, it is why he is the father of faith, how he's the father of our faith, and why our faith looks just like his. And particularly, we studied in verse 1, after this. Raise your hand if you were there and you remember the after this. 
that after this, for those who weren't there, it consisted of a series of what would the what would we would declare as failures. Come on, man. Lying about your wife, saying she's your sister. Discord, malice, deceit in your own household between you and your nephew. Over and over again, these elements that pop up, these, these actions in his life that say failure, but it led up to a certain point because one thing that Abraham has or had that we are to possess is a tenacity for the Bethel. That Bethel moment, that house of God, that presence of God, because he knew if he could get there, I could breathe. So in 15 verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credit to him as righteousness. The connection that I'm making, and I, I think in circles, right? It's kind of the whole electrical thing. You make a circle. So I begin with truth. And the praying in the spirit is praying through the spirit of truth, which will lead me and instruct me how to be obedient and to the point of believing the Lord so that it is credited Credited, credit to me as righteousness. That feeling that you get when you were scared to do something big and bold and follow the Lord. You stepped out. You did it anyway because you were sure that you were sure that you're sure that God told you to do it. And you were scared, hanging on by a thread. And God came through. And then you know, you feel that approval, that validation of his presence that says it's credit to you as righteousness because you believed upon me. When we follow the Holy Spirit leading us, it will bring you that validation before the Lord. Nothing else satisfies being validated than being obedient to God. It is a empty, hollow quest to find acceptance outside the Lord. I sat for 10 years in the background and at times near the very forefront of what God called me to do and what I am doing right now. It was spoken over me. It resounded in my soul that I would be in fivefold ministry and that I would be a worship leader. Ten and a half years later, it finally came about. What God was impressing inside of me was He and He alone is enough. He and he alone is my source of truth, but more importantly, my source of righteousness. I stand incomplete without him. And a pursuit of anything outside of what he says to do is hollow. It doesn't satisfy. It's like eating a rice cake in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> James chapter 5, verse 16. The result of trusting in truth will lead to a right standing with God. And this is exactly what happens. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so, you may not, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a what kind of man? Righteous. Righteous man is powerful and effective. 
Come on. I know you're not the only one. You've been in those prayer meetings and you're like, Lord, it's just a miracle. I'm standing here. I barely got out of bed. I barely got past all my distractions. Had a flat tire on the way. And God's honest truth, I just feel like choking somebody. But I'm here. And all of a sudden, you hear a voice out of the corner of the prayer circle of the room. And that person begins to light up the heavens with a prayer that is powerful and effective. And what does it do to your soul? Oh, man, it's like pouring gasoline on a match or throwing a match on gasoline. Let's turn it around. It ignites something in me that sets me ablaze. And their fire, their right standing with God immediately resonates with my soul. And I catch that fire, too. The next thing you know, I start erupting with what the Holy Ghost is stirring inside of me. I feel like I'm on the path of truth that's leading me to be obedient to God in that moment. Clarity is coming. And the next thing you know, I'm becoming powerful and effective as well. You want to know the secret to a powerful prayer life? Let's get right before God. Let's don't abandon truth. Let's quit lying to ourselves about our condition and realize we are prideful. We are selfishly ambitious. We do exalt ourselves above others. And the minute that we clothe ourselves with humility and put others' needs ahead of our own, then we find that zedekah, that righteousness before God. And then we become powerful and effective. Many times, men's efforts to do something for God is cloaked in their quest to just be found righteousness, righteous before God and be powerful and effective. But if we don't begin with that source of truth of where you are with God, we'll never get to the point of being powerful and effective. So that leads to Romans chapter 1. Start in verse 16. During the family home meeting, Mr. John Dang his wife, Joy Dang, and their soon-to-be Dang Lit. (laughs) He did a beautiful thing in having us write on an index card that moment of when we first got born again, that first love, being rescued, being sanctified, made holy. You don't have to go to bed with a guilty conscience anymore. You can sleep in peace and walk about in joy. And you think about that one moment, and he asked us to, and we wrote it on a card. And as I'm writing it, I'm weeping because I remember that first love, but also I remember what it felt like, and I don't feel it as powerful anymore. And it begins to convict my soul. And what I begin to realize is that that love for him, that's it, just love for him, not duties, not to-do lists, just that love for him fuels the flame of my fire and my love. It fuels everything else that I do for him. And when I'm in that place of being head over heels in love with Jesus, I can't help but be ready. It overflows out my soul of who God has been and is inside my life. I think about those first three weeks that I was born again and whenever Eric got born again, we would go out to the malls and we would pass out tracts 
we were not ashamed of the gospel because it was the power of God unto salvation. We were ready to share that word. I couldn't help it. It was like breathing. Spending time praying, connecting with the heart of the Lord. It brings that clarity and that understanding of where you're at with God and then begins to give you direction and zeal of who to share this message with. You look for opportunities to rescue the lost. You look for opportunities to proclaim the very message that saved your own life. I don't know about you. Jesus hadn't found me when he did. I would be twice dead. Twice. Body and soul. So I encourage you, as you begin to put this into practice, seek out the Lord. Look for that breath of fresh air of his presence because you got something good to give. You got people that you need to speak to about this message of the power of God. It's the good news. So long in imagery of this armor, I kept thinking it was just the gospel on my feet. And it's true. Beautiful are the mountains of the feet of those who bring good news. But what he capitalizes on is the readiness. Philip wasted no time. He ran to that chariot. What he saw was an opportunity for the power of God for salvation to happen in the book of Acts. He ran to that man's chariot because he was ready. Saints, do you want to be ready? Yes. Come on, do you want to be ready? Yes. Amen. Let's turn to the next, next scripture. Let's go to Romans 10. I'll give you a verse here a second, Susan. The word ready can also mean promptness, firm-footed stability. Firm-footed stability. There is a word that we studied in uh, Foundations on Monday. It was called Aman, A-M-A-N. I think it's Old Testament number 536. And it meant to be firm, trusting. And that trusting led to righteousness, the zedekah. Sometimes, or in fact most times, the difference between those who make it in the kingdom of God and those who don't is measured by, are you standing firm? Because notice when he begins to describe the, the word, uh, the armor of God, right prior to that, he says, when you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. Sometimes we just have to hold our ground. I am not going to retreat. I'm not going to give up. I will not back up. I will not retreat or give any territory to the devil or my flesh. I am here and I'm just waiting for you to have enough of me. And that's my flesh, and that's the heavenly realms. When we come to that point where we are standing firm, praying 
in the Holy Ghost. We find what we need to stay put and also that strength to take that next step forward. Today, Eric and I, we came to that point where we're in that old sanctuary and we need the mind of the Lord. We need the presence of God. We need to exhale what doesn't belong and inhale what does because we are just doing our best to stand firm. Five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. I'm still in the, still in the same way that I did at one minute. But I know the character of God. I've been here long enough. I've done this enough that if I stand my ground, my deliverance will come in the name of Jesus. I live for that moment when there's a breakthrough. When there's that washing of his presence and next thing you know, you feel his presence, you have his presence, and there's that precision clarity of what you need to do next. And trust me, my heart is quaking beforehand going, I know you've done it about 600 times, but I'm not really sure you're going to do this again. Praying in the Holy Ghost, bypassing my noggin, enables me to edify my spirit. And I know my spirit is saying, please help this poor guy. Build up some firmness under his feet. Add some more meat to these bones, particularly around the calf area. Why y'all laughing? Strengthen, build up, build up, build up. Why don't we pray in the Holy Ghost? Build up, build up, build up. Until I feel that firm footing. Ah, now I can put some weight on it. I know I heard from God. Let's jump. Let's plant. What that leads me to is Romans 10, verse 14. Through 17. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching it to them? We have readiness on our feet because we got something to give. And what we have to give is what we are experiencing on a daily basis. That is the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. I was saved. I am being saved, and I will be saved. It is a lifetime process. Amen? Amen. And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, the Lord, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Our feet carry a message. Where we walk, where we plant. It's in direct parallel to the call that God gave Abraham. Wherever you put your foot is a land I'm going to give you. Wherever we bring that readiness for the good news, which is the power of God and salvation, we're claiming that territory for the kingdom of God. But the minute that we begin to stop breathing. We begin to lose that focus. And we think that we're standing in enemy territory and that we are his possession, not that he is ours. You want to turn the tide of spiritual warfare? You begin to pray according to the spirit of truth. And what you'll find is that you got a message on your feet and you got victory underneath it. We are sent out by the Holy Ghost to recapture that which belongs rightfully to God.
And that's souls. That is absolutely souls. Your rear end is sitting in that seat because somebody was sent with a message of good news and you heard it. You responded to it. And it saved you. Amen. Now it's your turn, baby. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Against all hope. Everybody say all. all. Have you been there yet? Yes. <laughs> Amen. I know your story. Abraham in hope. So first we have against all hope, but Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall our offspring be. Verse 19. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Verse 20. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. He exhaled what didn't belong I mean, inhaled, exhaled what didn't belong and inhaled what did. And he began to give glory for God. The shield of faith is powered by the Holy Spirit. Because his spirit brings you truth, which brings righteousness, which brings a readiness. But here's the ultimate fact. The shield of faith is engineered and designed by God to take a hit. Never in a million days would, or years would a military commander instruct his soldiers, I want you to shoot everybody's shield. That'll get them. The shield is not the target. Your unity is. The shield is not the target. Your unity is. Because when I look at this armor of God, it is designed and engineered to absorb and extinguish fiery darts. If you are in the kingdom of God, you are target number one because you exist in the number one. And he will bring an onslaught of fiery darts. And that shield of faith is designed to take the hit. If I do not have a shield of faith, it is going to hit the vital areas that the devil has intended and disrupt this, or the unity that exists within who I am. He begins to cut into my truth. He begins to cut into my righteousness. He begins to cut into my readiness because I lay down my ability to trust in the living God. How ready are you to share the gospel whenever you're feeling condemned? You're not ready. You're not eager. How right are you feeling with God that moment after you gave in to your flesh in whatever facet that Galatians lays it out as? The fiery darts are aimed at disrupting your unity with God and your unity with men. But the shield of faith is engineered to take it all. A variant way of saying fiery darts 
is also fiery missiles. The time to get prepared to absorb these fiery missiles is not the minute that they begin to be launched. And I want to show you all where that's found. Let's go to John. Actually, I'm sorry, Matthew 26. It's a better one. Y'all still hanging in there? Yes, sir. Amen. Well, y'all are keeping me awake. That's a plus. Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit over, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. 41. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus, aware clearly by the spirit of what was about to happen to him, was giving the call to his disciples to get prayed up. There was going to be a time of great temptation. Found the variant way of saying this when it comes to either the day of evil mentioned in Ephesians or the temptation mentioned here in Matthew. And it agreed with my soul. A variant way of saying it is the day when you are violently assaulted. You want to recognize spiritual warfare in difference to just daily life? It's when it is one thing after another, after another, after another. And if you evaluate your heart and soul and even physical condition, think you could agree you get to the point when you can't even physically breathe because you're being violently assaulted. And the solution to this was pray. Pray, just breathe. When you have that weight of cares and worries and circumstance and that just demonic oppression that is trying to choke you, sit on your chest, cause you to stop breathing. Open your mouth and just let the Holy Ghost start coming out. Because that's exactly what we did today. And the minute that we start breathing, we start getting revved up, fueled up, and prepared for that violent assault. It's amazing how the tide of my own heart can turn. I'm going, oh God, woe is me. I can't handle this anymore. I just really, really stink at being in ministry. I have no business being in ministry. Then all of a sudden, the breath of God fills me. I'm like, yeah, bring it on, baby. Let's do it. I feel empowered, 
fiery darts and fiery missiles. They come in and they discourage. They bring me despair. They bring me defeat. And if all I do is just look at how many darts are sticking out of my shield of faith and in my armor of God, I will die in a matter of seconds. But the minute I begin to breathe, every single one of those arrows are extinguished and I move on and march on with what God gave me to do. Let's go to Romans 8. When you tell your testimony, you usually begin with that one point when you gave your heart to Jesus, you made a confession of Christ, you relinquished absolute control to the King of Kings. I was led by a track that brought me to the point where it was a declaration and literally using the words, take the throne of my life because I had been a very poor king of my own. I sit on the outside, you sit on the throne of my heart. And salvation is usually that first step that you think of. Well, we need to begin with salvation. But just looking at the schematic or the the rotating circle here of the armor of God, It's well on down the list. But I begin to think on this. When it comes to tactical and military might and advantage, if you begin to sow seeds of doubt, which counteracts truth, you begin to wear down the men of your opposition and they don't feel like they're fighting for a right cause. They don't feel ready to fight. They begin to lose that ability to trust what they don't see, which is imminent victory, then they have no hope of their own salvation or their countries. Our salvation is ongoing and it protects the very thing where the battle takes place the most. It's in our mind. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Salvation is that constant hope and reminder that has to exist here. Always turning our minds to not believe what we see, but to believe therefore what we don't see. And that is that God's deliverance is at hand. When we pray in the Holy Ghost, when we pray by the spirit of truth, it puts to death the doubt that creeps up in me, the despair. And next thing you know, what makes me excited is that God's in this. I'm being obedient and he's going to deliver me. But where I fall prey, where you fall prey, is in those moments when you begin to recount all the bad things that you have done that could possibly lead up to where you are now. Sometimes that's not a bad place to start. You need a hard evaluation. But condemnation says, this is who you are, and therefore this is who you will always be. There's no escape from this. And that is directly contrary to the truth of the gospel. It's directly contrary 
to the power of God unto salvation. Let's go to Romans. Uh, actually, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Am I being a little too artistic in my circle? I just see it as a circle. It's a, it's a connected dots. That All these are connected to each other. You remove one out of the link and they all just kind of come apart like a spoke in a wheel. So 1 Peter 1.8 Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your what? You're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What's the goal of why we stand firm on what God has spoken to us? Because salvation is always available. It is always available. You know, how many times has the Lord saved me from myself before what I was fearing actually came true. <laughs> Sometimes it happens on an hourly basis. Oh, Lord, I'm worried this is going to happen. No, Matt. Realize the truth of who I am. I'm here. Just trust me. It's going to work out. Oh, yeah, your salvation's here. Woo! Well, I'm glad I made it through that one. Back up and go to verse 3 of chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope, living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The ultimate form of salvation as proof to me that God is with me now and also for the future is that that grave is empty. That grave is empty. So if he conquered death, is there anything else that God cannot do? No, not at all. Is your circumstance somehow different than death? Well, partially because you're probably not going to die. But it does not escape the resurrection power of God that's at work within us. The hope of our salvation, the living hope, is the fact that resurrection power is available for us now and also will be in the future. You kill my body, guess what? I'm going to resurrect one day and I'm going to rule and reign with Jesus forever. Amen? Amen? That gives us the confidence to swing the sword of the Spirit. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. If you're taking notes, write down Psalm 13 and you read it when you get home tonight. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged what? It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom we must give an account. The sword of the spirit, as mentioned in Ephesians, is the word of God. There is nothing outside of its touch. There's nothing that escapes its ability. Every one of us are going to be judged according to what we've done in the body, whether good or whether bad. 
And the imagery that the Lord began to show me about this is that the Spirit resides within the Word. It is the truth. It is the Spirit of truth. But it particularly, it divides soul from spirit. In order for my soul to be led by my spirit, it has to crawl through the Word of God. You see that imagery passing through the sword, if the sword divides it? Anytime I let my soul lead is detracting from the Word of God being attached to my spirit. I can never let my soul lead. I let my spirit lead and command my soul to follow the word through it. Amen? Amen. Psalm 119.11, since we're family. Who can quote that? By heart. Come on, say it, Brandon. I know you know it. So I might not what? What we do is we take God's word and we swim in it. When we're praying in the spirit, we're praying in the spirit of truth. So what this means, guys, is when we get together, definitely we pray in the Holy Ghost, but at some point we're going to come to a level of English so that our soul can begin to have that interaction with the heavenly realms. Our mind is engaged and we are able to, to command God's word that's in our heart to take place so that we don't sin against him. So praying in the spirit, it results in unity. It's the primary target of the devil because only in unity is the power of his kingdom displayed. In the Garden of Eden, you had a dismantling of unity between man and God and men and men. In the book of Acts, you had a growing sense of unity to the point where great miracles were taking place and church discipline was at its all-time high that when a couple lied to the Holy Spirit, they were struck down dead and the fear of God became great among them. It's the very thing that we talked about before worship began. Once your obedience is complete, once there's unity within the body of Christ, then we find the power of God working in our midst. The overall thing I want to encourage all of us with is let's not forget that last and most vital piece that connects all the armor of God. Let's increase our personal prayer life. Let's increase our corporate prayer life. And that is going to bring a greater amount of unity between you and God and the direct result is that you'll look at the person on your left, you'll look at the person on your right, and you'll find unity with them, and then the power of God will drop in this place. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. We don't have a better weapon in this entire world than calling on our Father. It's like calling in the Air Force on ISIS. He doesn't even have to get his hands dirty to win your battle. 
It's not even hard for him. Amen? Amen. Do you always know how you should pray? I don't always know how to pray, but the Holy Ghost inside me does. Amen. I want to encourage you, if you cannot yet pray in the Holy Ghost, ask the Lord. He loves to give good gifts. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet?